0: Kia Ora, and welcome to another edition of the GeoDorable podcast with your hosts, Chris Morris and Mark Thompson. For more information on this episode, visit the GeoDorable page on Facebook.
1: Hello there, Chris. Hello, Mark. How are you? I'm all right, thank you. Still fighting off cold. How about yourself?
2: Not too bad. A little hot and sticky up here in Auckland, got to be said.
1: Uh, it's nothing like a good New Zealand summer.
2: True, very
1: nice Yeah, this is nothing like a good New Zealand summer So welcome to the uh, Geodorable Geodorable podcast, the number one geospatial podcast in the world Based in New Zealand
2: Uh, Yeah, and we talk about all things GIS, bit of geography, associated technology, drones, satellite imagery, that kind of stuff
1: Yeah, we scour the web for um, interesting stories and uh, bring them to you Uh, and we like to add a little bit Hmm? (laughs) we like to add a little bit of thought and opinion to those stories yeah we do but those Um, thoughts and opinions are our own surely yes they are no one tells us to say them
2: definitely not kind of you know
1: other people we like to keep our jobs thank you very much yes so uh, yes they are entirely our own Um, but what have we got on the show today chris
2: we have all kinds of things, lots of news, um, drones in Australia, we have uh, GIS professionals writing articles, very exciting, um, and it yep. wouldn't be geodorable without Strava, of course.
1: Yes, that, um, that inherently GIS application, inherent GIS application that everyone uses. Um, but the biggest news of all is we have Joseph Kursky.
2: Yes, he's uh, ESRI's education manager. And um, we talked to him about uh, his thoughts on GIS and the industry uh, and uh, how he uses GIS in his his daily life.
1: Yeah, and we have a great game, probably the greatest game of export to shapefile I've ever had.
2: Yeah, you lost badly.
1: (laughs) It was still great. Shall we get on with the news?
2: Uh, Yeah, I guess we should.
0: Spatial News.
1: Now, for our international listeners, you may be thinking, when's a good time to come to New Zealand?
2: Oh, great question, Mark. And any time, of course. Um, although well, summer months are really special.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, but if you're interested to doing it for work purposes, then the regional user conference dates have been announced in New Zealand.
2: They have now these regional user conferences, they're run by the uh, Esri New Zealand uh, user group. Uh, and our first conference is uh, towards the uh, the end of March up in Kerikeri and then we have 11 venues across the country finishing up in Palmerston North on the 19th of April.
1: Yeah, and if you're an international visitor you'd get a great uh, experience of New Zealand GIS activities and in some fantastic locations Rotorua, Napier, even Gisborne. (laughs) I Bible, love Gisborne, don't mock Gisborne I'm not,
2: I'm not, I love, like Gisborne's great <laughs> So we should, yeah. we should actually combine our love of uh, GIS and travel and perhaps become
1: a, a GIS travel agent Maybe, if you're interested in coming to New Zealand, drop us a line How would they get in touch with us, Chris? Uh,
2: they could hit us up on Facebook at uh, Facebook uh, geodorable. Um, or yep. they could send us an email, uh, at gmail.com. Um, or, or for
1: Twitter. the hip and trendy.
2: Well, yeah, for the hip and trendy, um, probably Instagram. But uh, <laughs> Twitter, at uh, MyJudorable.
1: Yeah. And we'll post out links to the uh, RUC dates. Absolutely.
0: Spatial News.
1: Now, in more local news, we like to see uh, New Zealanders on the world stage.
2: We do, and this is our very own Nathan Hazelwood. Um who, uh, who does a great job uh, talking about GIS in his London and abroad. Um, he's written an article uh, in uh, GIS Professional magazine um, all about whether we understand our own industry enough, which is a good question.
1: Yeah, it's something we often uh, quiz ourselves, or quiz, question on this show, yeah. is um, how well people actually get GIS.
2: So it's uh, it's worth checking out the article. It's worth checking out the magazine, actually, in um I haven't read it in a while. I had a uh, a good flip through it. Lots of interesting articles, actually. Um, Yeah, so
1: that's GISprofessional.com.
2: Yeah, a whole range of magazines there. So, um, yeah, take a look.
0: (laughs) Spatial news.
1: Now, last year, Chris, we brought you the breaking news. We brought public the breaking news that Australia were using drones to deliver burritos.
2: I know. It was one of my favourite episodes That (laughs) one, actually. And it uh,
1: wasn't burritos to um, people in the city. It was to burritos to people in the outback. And so uh, you could dial a burrito, and it would fly there. <laughs> Still struggling with that. Um,
2: uh, but the uh, <laughs> the Australian government have, uh, have announced that, they're that about they've spent fifty million. Uh, fifty
1: million dollars on drones. So that's just burritos for everyone.
2: Uh, it's not burritos, Mark. It's for the Australian Defence Force. So it's
1: a military use of drones. So, so it's burritos only for the yeah. Defence Force. Okay, fair enough. Um, so, but that's—you mm, would have thought stuff. just just being stereotypical, it would have been shrimps from the barbie rather than burritos. But okay, Australia.
2: Yeah, if you like them, go for it. Um, but yeah, so fifty million uh, money set aside for the. Uh, uh, for the Australian um, armed, forces, armed Forces to investigate how the drones. Mm.
1: Yeah, so this is the Cooperative Research Centre, CRC, uh, for Trusted Autonomous Systems. So it's not just drones. I imagine there might be robots delivering your burritos.
2: Do you reckon DJI are going to get involved? We uh, we mentioned DJI quite frequently on this podcast.
1: Um, no, they're not. They've um, said who they're going to get involved with, and uh, TGI aren't one of them.
2: Oh, shame. Um, <laughs> yeah.
1: But we're still open to sponsorship by TGI.
2: We are totally. I love their drones. Um, very nice, yes. I see quite a few of them actually this weekend. Uh, yeah, anyway. Spatial News.
1: Now, speaking of the military, Chris.
2: Which we were. Um, so, some people may have. And this has
1: nothing to do with burritos.
2: Nothing to do with burritos. You're you're quite correct. Um, so, this was a story that broke um, last weekend, weekend before, about um, Strava. So, uh, we mentioned Strava quite a lot in this podcast actually. Um, but they had uh, recently released an update to their Strava heat map. Um, and yes. uh, yeah, a few researchers and journalists have noticed that. Uh, You could use that heat map to identify secret military bases.
1: Yeah, well, interesting. I mean, this is another this is military and also Australia, um, because a student at the Australian National University um, started looking at the heat map and found a whole lot of interesting activity out in the deserts of Afghanistan, Turkish military patrols in Syria, and uh, guards operating in in Russian Russian parts of Syria as well.
2: So it just goes to show that you should be careful uh, what you do with your, you know, Fitbit or Garmin or whatever you've got that's uh, uploaded to to Strava.
1: Yeah, maybe if you're in one of those roles that people really shouldn't know about, you shouldn't be tracking yourself in a public sharing system. But interesting, Chris, Strava has responded in the strongest way they know possible. Which is what? Uh, They have said that they're committed to working with the military. And government officials to address poten- address potential sensitive data, and they're reviewing their features. We would also that like to make people oh, they'd like to make you aware of their uh, privacy settings and safety tools as well.
2: Hey ho! Um, <laughs> I actually took a look uh, a look at New, Z- you know, New Zealand. Looked at some of the military bases there to see um, to see what I could see. So I had a quick look at um, Pakura, Linton, and Burnham military camps. And, I mean, there's no, you a lot pers- of activity.
1: You could just Google military camps in New Zealand, Chris.
2: Well, I did first to find out where they were. Um, <laughs> and then I have a look at them. But Wairuru was uh, really interesting, actually. Waiuru? Sorry. Yes, not very good at pronunciations yet. Um,
1: uh, but yeah, that neither, was, but...
2: <laughs> that was pretty cool.
1: Yeah, I like the Waiuru one just because um, if you're not familiar with Waiuru, good luck spelling it. Um, but it's the middle of nowhere in New Zealand. Um, that's why we put our army there, because no one will touch them. Um, <laughs> and there's just tracks all over the place. And when you look at it on the satellite imagery, you think, ooh, that's pretty tough going.
2: Yeah, sure. Um, but yeah, it just goes to show that you've got to be careful out there. Um, one thing you can try, actually, is if, if you want to know where your own personal... Um, uh, tracks look like. If you're using an Android device, you can go to uh, Google Maps Timeline, and that will show you where you've been over time.
1: Yeah, that's quite a scary feature. Yeah, it is. It's quite uh, cool because Google... Well, is it scary? If you said yes to it, Google are using it to analyse you and what you're doing and help tailor ad- advertising for you.
2: I mean, so is Apple, right? You know, let's be honest, um, Microsoft as well, if anybody had a Windows phone.
1: Um, yeah.
2: It's just that Google make it obvious, whereas Apple don't. Uh, it's far harder to find out where Apple is tracking in. <laughs> I think that's likely because uh, they're embarrassed yes. about Google, uh, Apple Maps. <laughs> right, moving on. That's, uh, <laughs> spent a long All time. opinions are our own. <laughs> we've spent a long time with Strava. Uh, let's move on.
0: Spatial news.
1: Uh, now, Chris, the Winter Olympics are on.
2: I know. Have you been watching?
1: No, it means little to me. Sure, because well, um, just because New Zealand's not really a winter Olympic winter sports type of country. Yes, it is.
2: It's got like ski fields and everything.
1: Yeah, sh- sure.
2: Anyway, um, you have no idea how we're doing, and probably should look that up. But um, so it's it's Winter Olympics time, and that means it's story map time, right?
1: Well, kind of story map time. So there is a uh, map. I, uh, let's call it a story map. Esri haven't copied right of that, have they?
2: Mm-hmm. What's the story, map? The
1: Associated Press have got an interactive map of all the venues.
2: It is—it's an Esri story map, mate. Right?
1: Okay. It's just been done really badly. <laughs> all right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> is that why we're bringing it up?
2: Yeah. Well, you know, with, with uh, you know, with everything good you have to have you know, the opposite side of the coin and there are so many good story maps out there that this is a great example of a bad story map
1: yeah so let's just skip it because it is interestingly not interesting um, and there's another story map Chris
2: oh yeah sure
1: uh, this one is about the race for Olympic gold
2: then this one is about the yeah, yeah, winter olympics and it's much more interesting. And it's about um, yeah, how past countries have won uh, olympic medals. It's quite a nice breakdown, I think.
1: I really like the breakdown of the medals. It's quite a useful infographic.
2: It is. So there we have it. We have one bad story map about the winter olympics and one good story map.
1: Yeah, we'll put links of those up on Twitter and Facebook.
2: Let's know what you think. <laughs>
0: spatial news
2: now mark um, i
1: know you're a prolific uh, user of tinder
2: so you must be quite excited about this story
1: <laughs> uh, i'd like to deny that and then by denying it it makes me look guilty chris it does nice uh, but actually i have never used tinder but anyway so what's tinder got to do with this podcast chris perhaps you would like to explain
2: well uh, everybody's jumping on the, uh, the location bandwagon and tinder apparently is no exception so um, apparently, so the story goes, uh, Tinder are going to bring in location-based features to the Tinder app. So I'm not quite sure what that means. You swipe left, or you swipe right, or whatever else, or, or maybe you, you know, you get a, a warning or an alarm when somebody <laughs> that you've swiped walks past you. And that could be that could be good both ways, right? You've swiped right or left depending on which one means you don't like them and then you get proximity warning if they're anywhere near you so you can you can hide
1: right um so the blurb says a richer more enjoyable more engaging experience that's more effective and will drive greater customer satisfaction and greater word of mouth fantastic uh, so we don't even know what this means but um hey
2: well you know it's the combination of Tinder and location. I mean, pe- people are going to be very excited about that, I'm sure.
1: Yes, love and love and location.
0: Spatial news.
1: Now, we're talking Chris,
2: a, a man that doesn't use Tinder. <laughs> he doesn't need to.
1: You know, like just like us, Chris, because we're married. Sure. Not and, to each other.
2: Uh, no, although rumours do persist. But anyway. Um, yeah, so uh one only Jack Danger and, he, and his uh, and his wife. Um,
1: yeah, let's just let just put Laura in the full picture here. Jack yes, and did. Laura. Yes. Because um, it was the it was a team decision.
2: They have donated one hundred and sixty five million dollars um, to buy a little piece of. Uh, oh, little piece, um, a part of the <laughs> Carol Californian coastline.
1: Yeah, and but they're not buying it for as such. They're giving it to a conservation agency. They are. So it can, it can purchase an iconic, pristine stretch of undeveloped coastline in California.
2: That's pretty awesome, eh?
1: It is quite good. Um, and it sort of flies in the face of other tech um, billionaires who seem to be locking people away from uh, the areas of land they buy. So good on you, Jack.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Spatial News.
1: Now, speaking of world-leading CEOs, Chris, and Geospatial.
2: Sure,
1: yeah, go for it. Uh, last year, we had a... Uh, last year, actually, year and a bit ago, we had an article on Ola Rowland. Yep. Uh, who is the CEO of Hexagon. I believe and
2: l- Yeah, last year he was arrested on uh, suspicion of insider trading, I
1: think. Yeah, yeah, which is, is a fairly serious charge. Sure. Um, but so, it turns out he's been to court... And he has been. How do you say this without making it look like he was actually guilty? But he's been released. He's been found unguilty. Not In, guilty?
2: Innocent? I think is the word you're looking for. Innocent. Yeah, guilty. Yeah. innocent. That's normally the two words that are <laughs> used. Um, but yeah, so he's, he's yeah, been found innocent, which is great for, for you know, hexagon and for Well,
1: to? It, let's just say he's been found squeaky clean. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just, yeah. just to say that, look, there was. There was no one ever thought, apart from the Swedish police, <laughs> that he'd done something wrong. Yes. And uh, they were proved wrong.
2: I think it's one of these things, if you keep on banging on about it, people think that there's more to the story, but it's not. He's been found innocent. That's great. <laughs> it is. It is. Yeah, sure. Um, and Mark, that is uh, that's the news this week.
1: It is, because uh, we're on to our special guest interview. Now this was... Uh particularly uh,
2: awesome um <laughs> i really enjoyed it so as we mentioned at the start of the podcast podcast um we interviewed uh, joseph uh, Kersky.
1: um yeah and if you don't know who joseph is um then you should google him and be enlightened because he is a force of good within the geographic community
2: absolutely uh it was an am- uh, amazing opportunity to talk to him um so he's the education manager at esri and as you uh, you might expect from that title he's uh, very involved with um gis and education um and you know teaching younger generations about you know the power of gis and so forth but more than that he is he's he's a geographer he's a geographer's geographer if you cut him he would bleed geography that's how much of a geographer
1: he is yes um, but don't cut him because he's very nice
2: yeah 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 i mean we're not suggesting in any way that you should you know test my hypothesis but um <laughs> yeah thoroughly nice yeah. bloke very engaging and yeah what can i say it was such an interesting uh, conversation that
1: we had with him it was so uh, with that we'll uh, go to the interview Hello there, Joseph. Greetings. (laughs) So welcome to the podcast. Uh, You're our first guest for 2018, so that's pretty exciting.
0: It's a great honor.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, So for those of you who don't know you, Joseph, um, which can't be many people in the geospatial world,
0: um, how would you describe yourself? I would say that uh, I am a proud geographer, a supporter of geospatial technology, particularly in education, but in society as a whole as well. So my role includes writing geospatial related curriculum, uh, uh, forming partnerships with universities, private companies, government agencies, doing research in the teaching and learning of GIS tools and methods. But it's all designed to increase the breadth and depth of GIS instruction at all levels globally.
1: Yeah, and when I was talking to you just before, you are such a geographer, and that's a compliment. Um, that it, it literally comes out of you in, in nearly every sentence is about geography. Um, so, obviously, very passionate. We're Where did that passion come from?
0: I think like many people in our geospatial field, it came from a couple of things uh, stemming from childhood, really. In my case, it was reading selected books, such as The Last Great Auk*, AUK, those flightless birds that went extinct in 1844, and realizing this needs to stop. We cannot have species go extinct that are Uh, happening in the plant and animal world, and uh, coupled with that, it was uh, growing up in an area where I could get out into the field. Uh, You know, Richard Louvre, Last Child in the Woods, talks about this, having children getting out into the field in uh, non-adult constructed spaces, in other words, fields, riparian zones, vacant lots, uh, etc., that was... For me, growing up in western Colorado in the midst of sort of a semi-arid uh, landscape with uh, mesas and buttes uh, allowed me opportunities to explore and get outside. So I was always keen on doing that as a child. So I think those two things, reading, being curious and getting outside.
2: So did that, um, that kind of passion, did that then manifest itself at, at, um, you know, at school, uh, university and so forth? Was that, you know, did you, did you choose geography as your kind of, um, major?
0: Uh, indeed. So as a young person, uh, stemming from about year, uh, eight, eight years old up into uh, the time I went to, uh, my first uh, undergraduate uh, program, I actually made maps in my spare time. So I would get these big poster boards and colored pencils and make uh, up cities. Uh, and landscapes uh, completely made up uh, but I had urban renewal districts I even had address ranges on my maps they were pretty geeky they're pretty nerdy but um, uh, bays, capes, uh, you know mountains, valleys uh, and lots and lots of streets and freeways maybe there were so many freeways on my maps because my actual hometown really didn't have uh, much in the way of freeways it was only a population of about 30,000 people but um, yes uh, at the uh, University of Colorado, where I got my undergraduate uh, degree, it was in geography, and then I went on to uh, two other geography degrees uh, after that. So, uh, you know, it's geography, geography, geography. So, um, but you know, my one of my goals in my current position is to get GIS into more fields than just geography, city planning, you know, environmental studies. It's g- getting GIS injected into business, health. Uh, sociology, language arts, uh, engineering, etc. So I'm not just talking to my own peeps. <laughs> well, yes, that was one
1: of the one of the thoughts I had just listening to you is you're very strong on geography, and then you have GIS. But at the moment in your career and development, are you, are you a GIS person with a strong geography background, or you a geographer who uses
0: GIS? <laughs> Yeah, very good question. Actually, my current position is education manager at ESRI. I also teach GIS at the University of Denver and participate in some of those massive open online courses, some from ESRI and some from other uh, outside universities. So uh, my my actual title is instructor at uh, these universities, but also education manager. So that said, um, I'm really... Approaching this from the standpoint of we need to have the ge- geographic or spatial perspective in lots of different disciplines in order to solve these, as you well know, complex problems that increasingly affect our everyday lives. So you're quite,
2: I mean, you know, you talk about geography, but clearly you're also passionate about conservation. I think, yeah, the, the last great orc. Uh, you know is that kind of something that's been with you through through your entire life as well and is that something that you kind of manifest itself in in how you teach and in what you teach
0: yeah, Absolutely. The, but I just, just to say this, I go way back to the 20th century with this and, and you know, in my undergraduate days, uh, GIS was just emerging. I mean sure it started you know, a good 20 years before my undergraduate uh, career. but it was still mainly you know computer cartography very clunky, uh, difficult to, to use, all those things that you've probably read about. Uh, but uh, still the, the vision always was, Let's make smarter decisions with this, even if the software in, and the tools and the data is not very much available. You know, all those all of those challenges that we had and still have to some degree. But uh, I've, I've loved seeing the evolution of the tools. Now, you know, my main goal is to get uh, folks uh, knowledgeable about the fact that, you know what, if let's say you had GIS 20 years ago in, in your graduate school career. Uh, It is much easier to use now. It is much more powerful and you can do it You don't have to immerse your whole career into being a GIS person You can be a biologist or a business person or a you know a a city planner or something And you can use these tools to make smarter decisions and not have to turn your whole career over into being a GIS analyst
1: Yes, actually brings us on to one of our questions. We're gonna ask later. Do you think? um, Do you think we need more people literate in GIS speak
0: or do we need more GIS qualifications? Yeah, very good questions. I love working with you guys. You're always asking these really insightful things. Uh, I think we need a lot of people um, in academia, government, nonprofits, etc. that know a little bit about GIS and geospatial. So a, a lot of people sort of at that base of the of the triangle, if you will, a lot of people knowing a little bit about it. We need a significant number but a smaller number, admittedly, that know a lot about GIS, that know the theory behind it, that know uh, the ins and outs of you know map projections, datums, building a geodatabase, uh, serving up data effectively, good car- with good cartography, etc. So uh, I think the the base needs to get wider, uh, if you will, so more and more people knowing s- at least some of GIS, and and I'm sure you guys do this as well telling students that you know what you might be in social work or you might be in um, uh, range management uh, or or some other field uh, but you should have a little bit of geospatial on your tool belt it will help you become more marketable but also it'll bring a lot more value to your decisions and to your organization that you eventually end up working for so that's kind of widening the base but then at the at this maybe the top of the of the triangle uh, that needs to get a little b- bit wider, I think, as well, if we're going to, again, grapple with these uh, problems such as energy, water, you know, natural hazards, etc., food security, and so on. Uh, we need to have more people that know quite a bit about GIS as well. So it's, it's really widening the base and also widening the top of it, too.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. I'm, um, in my industry, there's a lot of people, well, we put a lot of focus on reporting. Um, and GIS is just slowly coming in, which is ironic because it's a spatial, um, spatially based industry. Um, so, do we mm-hmm. need more? Do we need more people just fluent in map in map speak? Is that like especially when senior management? I
0: think speak? that's a part of it. Um, yeah, good point. And one of my passions on that note is as you as you people well know there are more maps now than ever before right we've got thousands of maps generated daily if not tens of thousands if not maybe a million Um, I mean you can look at the some of the statistics on some of these web mapping tools such as ArcGIS online I mean there's just millions and millions of maps being served but also generated per day I think about a year ago I saw a statistic on Uh, From our story maps team and there are over 200,000 story maps now uh, online and so uh, The the, the point of that is as, as you well know there are There's no shortage of maps, but the challenge is how do we be critical about the maps that are out there? How do we look at them critically and? assess whether they are valuable for whatever decision we need to make based on them or even just to talk about. Uh, are they displaying good cartography? Are they being effective? Who made that map? You know, wh- when was it made? Is it is it curated? Um, it, there are so many awful, awful maps. Um, you know, favorite food for every country, you know, and Maybe was the person, you know, how many people did they interview in New Zealand? Hey, are you guys from New Zealand? What's your favorite food? We'll put that down on the map. I mean, they're not even, you know, they're not even scientific. They're, they're, a lot of them are just made to get people upset or mad or just generate clicks on a web page. So there are, there are loads and loads of awful, awful maps, many of which are interesting, even if they're bad. But my whole focus there is, yeah, getting people thinking critically about mapped data and having them have the eye of, well, just because it's a map doesn't mean it's perfect. It has imperfections, and so how can we grapple with those uh, imperfections and, and shortcomings, but still make use of them, many of them anyways?
1: Yeah, so that brings us um, just to a point, because we keep talking about on the podcast, one, get off the map, but also the commoditization of maps, of spatial, and that you've got a lot of companies now. Um, you know SAP, Oracle, SQL server, it's not a company but um, th- that do spatial analysis now. So it's, it's very easy for a non-spatial person mm-hmm. just to do spatial analysis. So this is it sounds to, to me like you think it's almost a, a double-edged sword that it's great people are thinking spatially, but the way they're thinking isn't as uh, accurate as it could be.
0: Uh, yes, a uh, very good point. I think it, it speaks to the whole enterprise valuing of geospatial information and data uh, in organizations. So, as you know, GIS was sort of viewed as this sort of niche technology. Uh, you want a map? Oh, go see the GIS people. You know, they're down the hall, and you know, they're they're a bit odd, but go see, they're in the basement. They're down the hall and to the right. You know, go talk to them. <laughs> but now it's you know. It, it, it throughout an organization more and more frequently you've got that common set of mapped data that everybody can access maybe not everybody is fully um uh, literate uh, or cognizant of all of the implications behind those maps and how to use that that geospatial data but at least it's viewed as a as an organization-wide asset and no longer just this sort of oh, by the way, we can also map the data. And so, yeah, having these other companies that you mentioned, being uh, they recognize that it's not just about generating tables and graphs, but it's also looking at things spatially with, with 2D and 3D and, and all kinds of other different visualizations and maps. Um, that's exciting. And I'm not saying that, uh, that everybody needs to be, you know, immersed in multiple years of studying geospatial technology or geography or cartography, but to the extent that we can help nudge the needle forward just a little bit, anyways, on um, non-GIS um, folks using visualizations to make decisions, then I think I think we've we've succeeded if we can if we can educate those folks to think a little bit differently about maps. And one way we're doing that, uh, you know, globally is. We've got those massive open online courses, and I've been involved with some from Penn State uh, University and also the ones here at Esri, and okay, not everybody finishes those MOOCs, those massive open online courses, but they have combined over the last four or five years now. Uh, even the Penn State one, uh, the mapping and geospatial revolution alone, that has attracted over a hundred thousand. The three MOOCs have gone just about that m- that many by now, uh, the four years that we've been doing them. So the point is, is that even if only a fourth of the people finish that, we're still talking about uh, you know, 40, 50,000 people that have finished that course. And now just don't look at maps as where things are, but you know, why things are where they are and think a little bit more deeply about the power of, of mapping and mapping technologies and, and really looking at them in different ways. So I think that's one way, not the, certainly not the only way, but one way we can kind of nudge this needle forward on global geoliteracy, if yeah. you will. So, I
2: mean that, that you've mentioned it before, actually, online, um, has that changed how you do things? And I, I imagine it, it has to. Has it, has it given you that reach that you perhaps wouldn't have uh, had before if you just talking kind of you know, desktop solutions and now you have this out just online? Has that yeah you know, changed what you do, how you do it, um, Yeah, given you that wider reach that you, you've been kind of looking for?
0: Absolutely. I don't want to pin it all on the tools because there are other forces acting in, as you know, education and society to um, help people to use GIS tools more effectively uh, certainly the science technology engineering and math stem um, focus around the world and having people it, at, in education primary secondary university engage in you know problem-based investigations with real data you know that's an interdisciplinary way holistic way thinking critically and spatially all those things have helped um, again h- encourage people to to use uh, geospatial technology But I do think that um, you're tapping into one of the key reasons, besides all those educational and societal forces, and geo awareness and so on. But that is the the, yeah the advent of of these tools into the cloud, and and you know how people have loved using um, music shared music sharing services. For their music, you know, so they can access it on any device at any time, and then their their documents, their spreadsheets, and their word process documents, you know, having a combination of you know some, some some things are on their local computer or device, some things are up in you know Google Drive or Dropbox or Box.com or or you know Microsoft OneDrive or whatever they're using, and and even more importantly, having the geospatial data and some of the tools online, like with ArcGIS Online, has has really helped because, you know, just taking the education sector for one thing you take your typical uh you know secondary school they don't have to install anything all they need is a web browser and a uh, a decent internet connection and they're good to go they're they could do analysis on natural hazards energy water you know population change etc um so that has definitely been a huge uh leap forward in in primary and secondary but then at the university level too having things like Business Analyst Web, which is a web-based application that runs on top of ArcGIS Online as well as incorporates a lot of other data. But having people, let's say, in your typical school of business that are taking Marketing 101, being able to use a tool like that Again, nothing to install. They don't have to spend weeks and weeks. It it speaks directly to them. I want to map the difference between you know florists and I don't know car washes in my community. Why is the spatial pattern different? Or antiques versus you know bail bonds. Why is it different? And and how? And and if I want to cite a new business, I can. I can use that tool. It doesn't do everything that a you know ArcGIS Pro or ArcGIS Online even does, but but it does what they need. It can generate drive time and walk time buffers. It can help help them map uh, b- existing businesses. It can help them uh, make choropleth maps of of consumer preferences and also uh, demographics. So it's it's those kinds of things that are really helping spread this. In, into more disciplines, but outside of education as well, uh, not just you know primary and secondary and university and after school programs. It's it's in society. So your typical, you know, a person that said, you know what, I just don't have time to. I know I need to know about GIS, but I just haven't had time to to learn it. Well, look, here's a tool called I don't know Community Analyst, let's say, or ArcGIS Online, with with very little um, need for Immersion in vast numbers of tutorials They can get up and running and make maps And share maps uh, fairly quickly And to, not just because it's there But actually to help them in their decision making Processes, so I I do think that You're right, it has Really lent a big boost to This whole global Immersion and geoliteracy And and tools
1: It also sounds uh, um, That GIS people aren't very good at educating Non-GIS people about how good GIS is.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I, well, I, I, two things that come to mind. At first, GIS people are very passionate, right? That's all why you, you folks, me, others are in this. You never really meet a person that's sort of, eh, GIS, eh, it's kind of okay, but. You know they're very passionate about it uh, I think because not just because the tools are pretty amazing and powerful but because we we do sense that we're really making a positive difference on the planet as maybe corny as that sounds that really is what drives all of us forward you know th- look at the coral reefs look at the ocean salinity look at the you know the population pressure on the landscape i mean all these things always are in our minds when we're doing this it's not like we're doing this just because it's a job or you know because the tools are there so uh, that said i think uh be- because of that just about every gis person is super super busy and probably over committed <laughs> uh, with lots of projects and so they don't really have many of them just you know, I'd love to help a school or a university or, you know, people in my community learn about this, but I don't have time. Now, in my case and in, you know, a small number of other uh, GIS uh, professionals' cases, we are actually – it is it is our mission um, to – and our, actually our major job responsibility to educate others. And so, you know, we're getting uh, permission to do that, but yeah, for most people – you know, there's a Geo Mentor network in many countries, yeah. for example, and there are, you know, a GIS core, uh, Eurissa's GIS core, and there's other groups, right? But but by and large, um, uh, and while there are very enthusiastic people in those organizations, um, they're just. I think it's, it's, it's the busyness so of their day to day jobs.
1: Do not know of a, a GIS 101? 101... Little thing that someone could run in their organisation to help educate people about what GIS is. Ie, it's more than a map. This is there a specific question?
0: Oh yes, yes. I've got mine aren't the end-all be-all, but I've got a series of videos uh, starting with an elevator speech. So I've actually told people, hey, get your elevator speech going. So when you're in a, in a you know an elevator with a city manager or a you know a minister of agriculture in a country or your state or province. This is this is what you could say. So instead of just saying do that, I've actually got several videos online on my video channel about, OK, here's some possible things you could say and tailor it to your own needs, of course. And then I've got uh, some some short tutorials about, OK, here is here's is a one page statement about why this all actually matters that you could use and modify. So and it's not just me. There are other resources out there like that. Um, that people could actually take and use, some in video form, some in um, short uh, demos of, okay, pull up uh, let's say ArcGIS Online and let's look at uh, plate tectonics in New Zealand and the last 30 days of earthquakes and population distribution. Okay, that kind of tells a powerful story about why this actually matters, right, so it's not just showing a bunch of slides, although those do have their place, but maybe use a live demo or a story map for example to tell the story of something that's really critical to a certain yeah. country or a certain city or region and you know and and bring it down to okay what matters to you what keeps you up at night let's say you're a, a public health person or a police uh, sergeant or you know something like that this is what you live and breathe this is how these tools can actually help you in your job
2: so when, when you have these elevator pitches or you know you, you're talking to someone Do you modify your language? Mm Because I think one of the things that, um, you know, I kind (laughs) of notice about our industry...
1: It's a a theme on the podcast, isn't it, Chris? Well... We're a little bit mocking. We use a language
2: that that, you know isn't necessarily easy to understand so we don't have a form we have a geo form we we put geo in front of kind of everything and anything um, regardless of of, of kind of whether it's applicable or not uh, I you know I love story maps absolutely love them Uh, I'm one of the many who you know that exists but it's a, it's kind of it's a multimedia output, the, the story map thing, the map thing. You know, it, it's it's it, it, the, we seem the geo to thing, mm-hmm. the
1: spatial thing.
2: So I mean, it, it, when you talk, do you do you use those terms, or is it a case you know it, it's a high level conversation? And are we doing ourselves a, a misservice by constantly referring to geo and those kind of terms?
0: Well, uh, again, I love these questions. You folks are my heroes. The Two things come to mind. One, I think every industry or field has its own lexicon, right? So we all have to be, no matter what field we're in, very sensitive to our audience. And so, for example, when, when you go into something like Business Analyst Web... It doesn't even call it a choropleth map. It says make a color-coded map. So even the tools are pitched in such a way, many of them, are pitched in such a way that is sensitive to who's going to use it. Um, and and it doesn't get into map projections. It's like, hey, you've got a table of data, you want to map it, make a, cor- make a color-coded map. So I think we are... Uh, i think doing our our audience a favor by you know we don't by by not um over um uh, using uh, specialized terms that they might not understand on the other hand i do say to folks i don't want to sugarcoat this this is not just a matter of points on a map right it's it's there's actually a it's if you want to get immersed into geospatial technology and um gi science it is a lifelong endeavor you can't just kind of sugarcoat it. it's kind of like you know chemistry or biology you're not going to learn it in one you know mooc or one course it's it's a it's a lifelong yeah, yeah. journey and i don't mean the 80s band <laughs> journey yeah i don't mean you know that band journey i mean the lifelong geospatial journey but um you know the, i think that you guys are exactly right the you don't want to sugarcoat it and say this is super easy and everybody can do it well no there's a there's a certain amount of Even with um, you know, let's take Survey One Two Three. So Survey One Two Three is designed to be fairly easy to set up. It is a form-based field tool that you can set up and have your either your own employees or the general public through citizen science, you know, slash um, crowdsourcing gather data on tree tree species, tree height, uh, tree condition, or damage to building from earthquake, is severe, moderate, slight, uh, trash in my neighborhood, or graffiti, or broken sidewalks, or whatever it is, they can collect that in the field, and then it goes into this single online, in this case, ArcGIS online map, that you can then perform spatial analysis on, looking at the distribution of those points, lines, or polygons that people are collecting, and the photographs, and maybe a narrative. All that being said, even though that's a fairly straightforward thing, it's much like, uh, you know, SurveyMonkey or Google Forms where you're dragging things over from a web form. You can also use Excel. But the point is is that it's fairly easy to set up, but even with that, there is a, a little bit of, you know, a, a set of moving parts that you need to know, you know, what a, what a feature service is and what you're doing when you set that thing up and how do you, how do you s- set the questions up so that people can understand them out in the field. So even with that tool, you know, there's a, there's a, a bit of a, a, a base, you know, sort of like the um, amusement parks where you have to be this tall to ride on the ride you know like a meter and a half tall or whatever it is so the point is is that uh, even with those easy to use tools there is a fair amount of background knowledge and skills that you have to have not necessarily to add data to them because it is really pretty straightforward oh pull up this form add data click done submit but to set it up and to manage it it does require a little bit of knowledge so again it's one of those things where like i was mentioning earlier and you guys are very well referring to and that is there's still this, this set of moving parts that you need to know about to effectively use these tools. It's not just a matter of, and I think it partly reflects our complex world, it's never going to be push one button and all of your spatial analysis needs will be solved. You still need, The human element is so important, right? Yeah. The, how you frame the question and how you set up the problem, it's never going to be uh, click once and done. Now, there are tools that allow the final user to do, you know, tweak this model to meet your own needs. But I think just inherently, these complex problems are not going to be, uh, they shouldn't really be uh, so super easy to solve with a GIS because there are different considerations. And then things change over space and time, right? And scale matters and all that other stuff. the
1: other thing is that the GIS won't solve all the problems because it's, it's a tool in a, a tool set.
0: Mm-hmm. That, mm-hmm. we... Right, it's the people that are solving yeah, it. Yeah, and
1: yep. it's the people working collaboratively with other tool users who are doing
0: different things. And that's what's exciting to be about the, uh, you know, the whole advent of the web-based uh, tools and methods, because let's say you folks design some model, I can adjust it to my own region or maybe um, inputs, Are different and we can share those things and like you said grapple with solve problems at local to global scales so it's not just the sharing of the data anymore it's sharing the models we're only seeing a little bit of that i still think there's way too much duplication in gis but that's probably a separate conversation but we're getting toward we're getting toward being able to share methods and that's that's pretty exciting
1: it is um so taking a different tack joseph and this is more about you Um, you're an enthusiastic person. We can all Uh, tell that from just this interview. (laughs) But, just looking at three things in your repertoire. Um, Geo songs. Oh gosh. (laughs) That's, I mean, we're putting Geo in front of everything nowadays, but, um, what's a Geo song?
0: Maps in the cloud, good times never seem so good. That's an example of a lyric from a Geo song. Um, you know, stealing the melody and tweaking the words. Um, but, yeah, if you truly want to torture yourself, I do have on my channel all kinds of examples. Um, they're certainly not viewed by millions, but, he, you know, my mom looked at them, my sister. Uh, <laughs> no, um, they're, you know, I think it's, it's, it's actually has a, me- a purpose to it because when i'm teaching a workshop and you know some of these they can be pretty pretty involved as you well know from being in GIS, so you're talking about metadata standards and stuff, There's there are lots of studies about if people aren't actually enjoying themselves when they're learning, they learn they learn less. So I would inject a little bit of these. There's, they're a little geeky, and but it keeps kind of people, hmm, wow, I never th- thought that my instructor would be singing uh, in, the, in this workshop. That's that's fun. And it, 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 it's kind of like having a mint. You know, peppermint is supposed to be an energy booster, so it's sort of like having a mint in the middle of your class. So it does have a purpose, but it's also so that you know, there, there's a lot of stuff that we're dealing with, right? That is is pretty pretty depressing. a lot of these, a lot of these numbers on our, in our world are going in the wrong direction. So it's my it's my small attempt to, you know what? Let's 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 enjoy the ride. Yeah, we've got a lot of serious issues, but let's 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 enjoy our time on the planet while we can.
1: Um, and so we've <laughs> got we've got geocaching, but also degree confluence. Now geocaching people, most people are sh- sort of familiar with. Um, hunting down caches using using gps mm-hmm, and other mm-hmm. tools um but degree confluence what is degree confluence
0: uh this is pretty geeky but um i think your listeners will appreciate this so uh picture the latitude and longitude grid laid on top of the planet right it's an artificial grid uh, you know 1884 uh bermudian conference so that's why you guys are in the eastern hemisphere and i'm in the western hemisphere etc so uh, the degree confluence project is a—it's a really great instructional tool um, to teach geography uh, about uh, or with. But it's—the idea is it's sim- similar to geocaching. Uh, it's actually similar similar to virtual geocaching, where you don't actually leave anything or take anything. You just go to the place, and in this case, you go to where the full degree of the latitude and longitude lines cross according to the app on your phone or the GPS yep, receiver. And- so I've got actually about seven in New Zealand. Uh, one that was spectacular at 45 degrees south, so it had a special meaning since it's you know halfway to the South Pole uh, on the uh, side of a mountain there not far from Queenstown. Oh, gorgeous place. So it's it's going to that spot and then writing about your experience and taking photographs. The reason, there's a couple reasons why it's not as popular as, as geocaching. A, many of these are on private land, so you got to get permission to go there and b they could be uh, on the side of a cliff or on uh, you know in the back alley of some city or you know some place where a lot of people have no interest or desire yeah. in going to
1: <laughs> okay so just
0: going basically where there's no decimal places in the um, in your gps reading exactly. and And the reason why I think it's a great uh, tool for teaching uh, ecoregions or or urbanization or cultural geography or physical geography is because you've got this grid of uh, photographs of at, at you know it's it's like a regular sampling, right? it's It's a regular sampling. It's not where people necessarily live, but it's it's a regular grid all across the globe with some holes yeah. still uh, that are yet to be uh, mentioned there's a few done in the But let's say you're teaching about biomes. Uh, you know those those don't actually count in the project. It, oh, it's only where you can see land. Yeah, uh, so those count. But let's say you're teaching about uh, you know world biomes, and you say, okay, let's look at the taiga biome. If I go to this spot in you know northern Siberia uh, or central Siberia, are you going? What are you going to see? And hopefully the students will say, well, we'll see the boreal forest based on the lesson that we just taught. And then you go to this project's website, and you click there to a certain latitude longitude uh, intersection, and yes, you should see. The boreal forest, or chaparral, or desert, or ice, or whatever it happens to be that you're uh, looking at with your students. So it's it's a good teaching tool as well, and they're all vetted. You know, you're not going to see any objectionable, <laughs> fo- uh, objectionable photographs. So in, in in the instructional world, you know, that's yeah. pretty key. You, you don't want to have any sort of tool where it's possible that you're going to see something really horrible. Yeah, yeah that sounds really interesting. <laughs>
1: um, now Esri came out last year with a new tagline: "Science of Where." Um, and we've been mm-hmm. big supporters of this. Um, and we were thinking last year, because you used to have Map Man and Map Girl, who now has changed to Map Woman, I think, because we're all equal. Um, right. Mm-hmm. But now with the science of wear, we would not actually need to worry about gender. Um, and we've, what do you say, renamed? Uh, or sort of categorized people in the GIS industry uh, based on the science of wear. So um, we have a wearologist and that's someone who knows about the wear so the technical developer type consultant person Um, and then we have a wearographer and they're representing the wear so they're the ones drawing the maps cartographers analyzing the data Um, and there we've got and then we've got a wearometrist and that's about measuring the wear so remote sensing image sensing all that sort of um analysis stuff where you're trying to measure um and well just Mm -hmm. from those rough definitions we're just wondering what what do you think you would be
0: Uh, i love those i think they're great i think that science of where really resonated not just with us as esri employees but it resonates with a lot of people in the geospatial industry i mean that's what many or most of us have been doing for for years right it's really about uh that where matters it's not just where things are but why things are where they are so that 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 tagline as you say I think is a really good one and we're all very excited about it as well uh, because it's sort of it's sort of codified or you know put down on paper or digital form what many of us have been doing for years so that's good um, in terms of those would I
1: venture in one.
0: I'm I'm in I'm in education, so you know primarily. So I'm I'm really sort of a, a geospatial evangelist, which I know is something that you all are as well, because you do these podcasts and all these other wonderful things. Um, so you're really touching on all three of those. Um, so I, you know, to the extent that I can be the wearologist, uh, you know, on the technology side of things, I'm not a developer uh, in in the traditional uh, developing. Um, Software development. I do develop data sets and I develop lessons. So in that sense, I'm in the technology. But I'm also um, in the analysis part in the sense that I write curricular, you know, lessons, books, etc., uh, short um, uh, le- uh, uh, guidelines, etc., to help people. Look at the pattern of, of earthquakes or or uh, uh, population change or or uh, hydrography or whatever it happens to be. I also use remote sensing tools and and want people to understand the you know, the geodesy uh, behind things as well. So in that sense, I'm I'm on the amatrist side. But hmm, education is kind of like. Um, it's kind of like the sand in a conglomerate. You know, I used to work at U.S. Geological Survey, so I kind of like this. Uh, let's see what you think of this analogy. But education kind of touches the cobbles and boulders in, it, just like a sand, a sand grains do in a conglomerate. Um, and so it touches on maybe the cobbles and boulders could be your ologist, ographer, and amatrist. Yeah. Uh, and I feel that education really touches all I've of those. Just
1: thought of a new one, which is we're
0: ominist. We're omni. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. I'll have to chew on that for a while. Uh huh. Oh, there we go. Well,
1: thank you, Joseph. That's been really exciting, actually. To um, yeah, really good to talk to you um, and get in well, get get some of your enthusiasm and um, think more about educating and educating people about
0: what makes the wear so special. Well, thanks for having me. You know, we're all in this together we're all educators and gis evangelists in our own ways right and we have we all have our own strengths it is a global effort you know if we're going to if we're going to deal with and grapple with and solve these vexing problems it's it's all hands on deck right it, everybody needs to everybody is part of this so you you folks and the good things that you're doing i consider to be you know primary investigators and educators in in this whole field too so it's not just me but thanks for the kind words I'm just happy to be and proud to be a part of the whole community.
2: Great. Awesome. Um, yeah, thank you very much, and uh, we'll speak to you again. So,
1: Mark, what do yes. you think of that? <laughs> I'd, I'd like to say, because we're humble, great questions, Chris.
2: Oh, man, they were some of the best questions we've ever come up with.
1: Well, the thing I liked about our questions was more the answers that Joseph gave. That us to say he... He um, took to the questions, and uh, took them to places that were just really interesting.
2: Oh, absolutely! And what a positive uh, guy as well. I mean, you know, you you can just uh, you can just feel uh, throughout that interview the love he has for his work.
1: Well, and for, for geography and GIS especially. I mean, I like the, um, you know, you've heard the tagline before that GIS answers questions. Uh, answers questions that uh, only GIS can solve. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you speak to him about what he's doing, you're like, actually, yeah, that's right. It's not just a marketing line. It's quite a true um, proposition.
2: Yeah, he, he really kind of embodies that. He he embodies what he believes <laughs> in, which I think
1: is a great, yeah, that's great. It is. Um, and we also, well, I got the chance to uh, play him in Export to Shapefile.
2: Yeah, uh, and that was quite an interesting experience.
1: It um, was an honour. It, it was an honour. It's it's like playing uh, Federer or Nadal in tennis. I
2: was going to say in tennis, because I don't think they can play export border I might be wrong, I don't know, but I don't think so. <laughs> but um, he, he's got a style all of his own, hasn't he?
1: I Yeah, I think the game's moved forward from where we play it.
2: Uh, very possibly. Um, or, or, I mean... He's also just I think he's he's been playing for a while and just has it, you know.
1: Yeah. Um so yeah we'll we'll play that uh, play that interesting interesting game of export to shapefile. Export to
0: shapefile.
1: So Joseph, we're going to have a game of Export to Shapefile. Excellent. <laughs> now I'm a little bit intimidated um, because you've worked in the Esri Toolbox for quite a while, and I imagine you've played quite a few games of Export to Shapefile.
0: I go back to the 20th century with GIS, but don't let that intimidate you. I'm just I'm, I'm old, but I'm but I'm passionate. <laughs>
1: yeah, that that's still intimidating. Okay.
0: <laughs> Um, I'll,
1: I'll open, um, home team starts. Okay, uh, I'll go for add terrain pyramid level.
0: Ooh. If, if you got terrain, I'm going to counter with creating an aspect map from that terrain. Okay.
1: Yep, um... Okay, I'll go f- for create constant raster.
0: Ooh. <laughs> I am going to create a 3D scene so I can use it in the scene viewer from that raster.
1: Yeah, this is intimidating. Um, okay, <laughs> you're, you're quite good. <laughs> uh, okay, I'm going to go for a basic move create turn feature class then to try and counter your complex moves
0: oh gosh it's in the wrong projection yikes okay in that case I'm going to change the projection to I'm going to use the project uh, tool to project it into something that you in New Zealand would love and that is Eckert 4 (laughs) Wow, love Eckert 4
1: Uh, we we like to keep things simple down here. Uh, Okay, select layer by attribute.
0: I'm going to go for a related tool then. Select layer by location.
1: Ooh, good to see you come down to my level. (laughs)
0: Okay then. I'll
1: counter that with a basic basic move, create table.
0: Create table. Yeah. Love tables. In that case, I'm going to summarize a... I'm going to use the summarize tool to summarize a field in that table that you've just created.
1: <laughs> okay. Uh,
0: make rest a layer. okay from that raster layer that i'm going to use the good old one of my favorite tools of all time the raster calculator to basically select certain cells in that raster layer so i'm going to use the raster calculator wow okay you've
1: just you've just gone to places i i didn't know um okay (laughs) I'm going to export to shape cuz this is this has been embarrassing. Ah. Uh. <laughs> wow. That was um that was an amazing game. I um, I feel like I've been schooled by a master.
0: <laughs> no, hardly. We're all in this together, sir.
1: <laughs> right. Well, yeah, thank you for that education.
0: <laughs> <laughs> My pleasure. That was a unique experience.
1: Yeah.
2: Well, there you go, Mark. You, uh, you were <laughs> schooled in, in Export to Shapefile. Um, I was is, so know,
1: schooled, and I'm so proud of it. He's an education it's
2: manager, and he certainly taught you a lesson.
1: <laughs> that was right. School was in, sucker. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, got
2: to, you, you, so he's going to be at the, uh, the Esri UC, and you're going to the Esri UC as well, right?
1: Yeah, and I uh, plan to catch up with him there. It would be uh, great to talk to him again. And... Uh, Maybe just observe him in a few export to shapefile <laughs> games.
2: <laughs> yeah, you, you don't want to. Uh, do you reckon if you try really hard between now and then, you, you'd have a better chance? No.
1: No, I, I agree. No, I don't think you'd have any um, chance whatsoever. Yeah, and even even if they, they played doubles export to shapefile, I, I still don't think I'd really um, aid him that much. No. No. no, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but that's the podcast. Thank you for listening to it.
2: Yeah, thank you very much. And if you've got any thoughts or comments, please get in touch. love to hear from you. Um, and if you have yep, any news stories that we you, you think we should follow up on, then, um, yeah, drop us a line about those as well.
1: Yeah, especially if there's something happening in your neck of the woods, whatever the neck country that's in. Yeah, we'd love uh, to we hear. We do have quite a large international lead, uh, listenership. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, thank you so much to Joseph for appearing on the show.
2: Yeah, yeah, it was excellent. And with that, Mark, uh, well, goodbye.
1: Yep, see you next week or next time.